Today's edition of the Derek Hunter Podcast is brought to you by Life Change Tea. Why go to GetTheTea.com? Because this important news could change your life. Socrates made a statement saying that all disease starts in the gut. Take care of your gut, and well, the rest speaks for itself. Life Change Tea is a wonderful way to aid in your digestion. Brew it, steep it, drink it, and feel it go to work. We at Life Change Tea have been around for years helping people just like you feel better. Lots of testimonials and lots of happy people. Log on to GetTheTea.com. That's GetTheTea.com. GetTheTea.com. All righty. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to it. It is the Derek Hunter Podcast for April 14th, 2022. Happy Thursday. We're almost to Friday. We're almost to Good Friday, which means almost to Easter, which... I don't know about you, but growing up, Easter was always about ham. Ham. Now people say lamb, and now the standing rib roasts are on sale this week and all this stuff, but Easter always meant ham to me. I don't know why, but maybe maybe it's just my family. Who knows? Anyway, hope you have good plans for Easter and all that good stuff. Welcome to the program. I am Derek Hunter. This is the Derek Hunter Podcast, as you have heard at the beginning. Action-packed episode for you. And even though this is a holiday weekend, come hell or high water, or even high holidays, there is always a curse program, a week in effing review at patreon.com slash Derek Hunter Podcast. That's my commitment to you. That's where you go and you can enter to win a signed copy of either Tom Brokaw's book or Adam Carolla's book. Just join up, comment there, and uh, you're in. Just say which one in the comment on the post. Say which one you want should your name be drawn from the hat. And that is it. So it is written, so it shall be done. It's that simple. Also, don't forget that uh, getthetea.com the tea that makes you go, life change tea, the tea that will change your life, clean you out, make you feel better, and when that's, I always call it the squeegee for your innards, drink, use as directed, drink sparingly. But you will notice that you start to feel better and you start to have more energy. It's because you are cleaned out. It's because your body is free to absorb more of the nutrition that you eat. What's the point of eating? Well, if your body can't absorb the nutrition from the food. Get the tea, life change tea, getthetea.com will change your life. You don't have to change your diet. It'll just change your life. And don't forget promo code Derek at checkout, D-E-R-E-K. Click apply. You get free, fast shipping on top of everything else. All right. Let us get on with the program, shall we? Oh, by the way, they captured that SOB in New York. I'd already recorded the show because I was feeling like crap because of the sun exposure yesterday so they caught him caught him he turned himself in the fbi is quite adept at tracking down people who turn themselves into the fbi other than that pre-warnings anything like that not so good unless they're 68 year old white grandmothers who walked into doors in the united states capitol that the capitol police opened for them yeah i'm not cynical anyway now we'll get on with the show the uh there's new developments. We now know who the uh, alleged shooter was in New York, the terror attack yesterday. Thankfully, nobody was killed. Um, they found the guy dropped his bag with his keys in it. <laughs> people, people are so stupid. And uh, they fi- traced it back to a U-Haul van that uh, he'd rented. 
His name is Frank James. He is still at large. He is a black man, uh, portly, elderly. He's in his 60s, I believe, 62 years old. Has apparently addresses in Philadelphia and Wisconsin. I'm not really sure why he's in New York, but whatever. It is uh, interesting because this guy was all over social media posting hate-filled rants about evil whitey. It was basically, he was posting the social media version of MSNBC and CNN. <laughs> and you're like, what? Nobody noticed this? Well, apparently uh, the FBI did notice it. They did look into it. And uh, they, they talked to him on a couple of occasions. It turns out if you post a whole bunch of videos about how you want to kill Whitey or you hate Whitey or whatever, um, or anybody, you, uh, you get the attention of government. Not that much attention. You don't get a, so much attention that you might, oh, I don't know, take an agent away from investigating an 86-year-old grandmother who walked through an open door at the United States Capitol on January the 6th. No, you wouldn't get that kind of attention. You wouldn't get the kind of attention that uh, somebody whose child was sexually violated in a school and the school board covered it up and you went to the school board to point out how that was ridiculous. You don't get that kind of attention. But you, you get a good talking to going, hey, are you going to go on a, uh, a murder spree? And no. Oh, all right. Well, then good. Are you planning? Did you wait? Were you a Trump voter? No. Good. Good. And if you look at this guy's social media history, he is uh, he's definitely a Democrat in good standing. He's a big fan of Louis, Louis Farrakhan. He's a big fan of the progressive victimhood culture that the left is continually, continually perpetrating on people. No, you are a victim. You can't get it. Now, this guy's 62 years old. I suspect there's also mental issues involved. But watch what happens in the next 48 hours. Watch what will happen in the next 48 hours. This story, especially if he's arrested, but even if he's not, this story will slowly fade away. It will not be the most important story, nor even if the guy's still at large. They will not cover it in the media the way that they've been covering it in the first 12 hours because they've confirmed that his skin color does not comport with the left-wing agenda and therefore, meh, moving on. It happens all the time. Remember the Waukesha Wisconsin uh, terror attack where the guy drove his car through a Christmas parade trying to hit as many white people as possible. He confessed to it. And what do you get? You get nothing. You get, oh my God, the car, it was a car attack. A car attack? Have they become sentient? My God, cars are attacking us now. I need to melt down my keys or, or keys the key to control. Like, what do you do? How do I make sure that my car doesn't attack me? Happens all the time. Happens all the time. The, uh, there was a shooting in Colorado that uh, went away within about three hours once they determined that the shooter, the killer, was a Muslim guy. It's Arabic. And then it didn't matter anymore. It didn't matter. It stopped being reported. 
I don't even know what the point or what the uh, status of that case is, to be honest with you. I just know that the people whose job it is to inform us of the status of those sorts of cases and all sorts of other things going on, uh, stopped talking about it, just went away. It stopped mattering. The people were still dead. The people were still wounded, but they were the wrong people. They're, you know, the, the gunman was wrong. There's just not. How does that help the Democratic Party? So since you won't see these things on television, you probably won't hear them often on radio. It, it's, it's a risk here because there's a lot of bleeps. We bleeped all the obscenities, but this guy has a lot of obscenities. Now you tell me... <clears throat> which you think deserves more FBI attention. Somebody whose phone pinged on a tower in Washington, D.C. on January 6th, 2021, just because they were in Washington, D.C., or a guy who walks around yelling at people on the streets of New York City and filming himself doing it. This should have been a, a good sign that this guy is mentally unstable. He filmed this himself. He posted hours and hours and hours of this sort of stuff. Um, but he was uh, walking down the streets of New York City. He's yelling about evil Whitey. And then an Asian woman walks by. And he is not happy with Asians either. He doesn't like anybody who doesn't share his skin color. He, like I said, he's a, a loyal and on-brand viewer of MSNBC. Their ratings will take a dip, especially Joy Reid's ratings, because this is the personification of what her show is like. Listen to this guy walking down the streets of New York City. Yeah, f you too. You see that shit all day, every day. You know, you see that shit all day, every day. White motherfucker gonna slam the door, like, you know, try to slam, I slam it in my face. Yeah, fuck you and your white ass too, you white mother, racist motherfucker. Yeah, I had to put that in for good luck. I don't get, listen. Yeah, white racist motherfuckers, yeah, they do exist. They do fucking exist. Look at me, motherfucker, and they hate your guts too. Slam that fucking piece of shit. All that you know in Vietnam, they, they, they not your fucking friend. They ain't your fucking friend, nigga. Sounds nice, doesn't he? He's filming himself doing this. Not only is he filming himself, you could say maybe maybe make the case. I don't know what kind of case it would be. We could maybe make the case. Ah, well, while you're walking down the street, you just film yourself and then something goes and you just, you're still filming yourself. But no, he, he then posted it to the internet. He posted it to YouTube. What's funny is YouTube will spend hours and has teams of people, teams of people, Policing every bit of content up there for COVID misinformation, for anything that maybe a conservative says that isn't, uh, you know, trans friendly enough. And then they will go ahead and remove it or demonetize it or whatever. But this guy's videos, eh, they're up there. No problem. They weren't banned. Not a problem whatsoever. It's a different world that we live in. It's bizarre how these people function. Uh, this guy uh, also, he didn't just film himself walking down the street, yelling, screaming at random people. He uh, Now, this was described in the tweet where I saw it as him drunkenly posting a video. I don't know that he's drunk. There's less swearing, so I, he's either less angry or 
less drunk or he's one of the rare people who, while drunk, swears less. I don't know what, what the truth is. But he's sitting presumably in his house, one of his houses, whatever, talking about how evil Whitey is and they're going to lead to a Holocaust, a genocide. They want to, Whitey wants to kill all black people is basically the gist of this rant. Again, shows how emotionally unstable he is. And I tell the American Negro this, I keep telling you the same thing. White people and black people, as we call ourselves, should not have any contact with each other. You still refuse to understand this. You want to make up some story about some Jesus and the Bible said dumb They don't see it that way. They hate your fucking guts. And why do they hate your guts? Because they know that your rightful place is as a fucking slave in this country. They know that. You're the only one that doesn't realize that. And now you want to be equal to them by force. They didn't choose to elect. They didn't elect to make you equal. You had to force them to make you an equal. And now they're just getting more angry and more angry. That anger is building up. And it, nothing can happen here differently than what happened over in Europe with the Jews. I want you to believe that that's possible. I want you to delude yourself and tell yourself this fucking punk ass bullshit about that could never happen here. That could never happen here. Those are famous fucking last words. That could never happen here. Yes, it could, and it will. Sounds nice, doesn't it? He can post these things on social media. He can post these things on YouTube. Not a violation of the terms of service of any platform, apparently, because they can't seem to find one uh, from which he was banned. Now they'll probably take his stuff down. The left always does that. They have the the sanitation crew come in and go, ooh, we're going to scrub this place down. Always, you ever notice that? These, these shooters who don't fit the liberal narrative, Facebook goes, well, we took down his profile. Why? Why? Shouldn't we all know what this lunatic was about and then maybe we would know what to look for in other people? Nope. We don't want it up there. He went on uh, anti-Trump rants. We took that down. Oh, so he was cool with his anti-Trump rants, his anti-Republican rants and all the violent rhetoric and all the threats and all the... But once the gun came out, then suddenly, all right, well, now we got to act. But if you say, hey, maybe masks don't work, the data shows, and you cite studies, well, you, you, have to be, uh, you have to be banned, you have to be put down, you have to be taken off. You're a threat to uh, society, and those sorts of things. This guy has post after post after post, and you name the social media platform, post after post after post of him swearing about how evil white he is, of him, you know, Black Lives Matter with a gun pointed at the camera, um, all these uh, Black Liberation Army, he's a freedom, unity, struggle, and uh, he's got terrorists up there. Asada Shakur, cop killer. The messenger of Allah, Elijah Muhammad. Again, right there. Maybe the Nation of Islam is a uh, terror organization. Now, why? Well, Proud Boys are. That's what we're told. Don't, I bet you don't know anything about the Proud Boys, or very little. I know very little about the Proud Boys, except for the fact that the leader of the Proud Boys is a Hispanic guy. But somehow it's a white supremacist organization. Somehow it's an evil white supremacist organization. And you're sitting there going, how does that work? And they go, don't worry about it. It doesn't matter. But the Nation of Islam 
inspired not only uh, this guy, apparently, but the guy who rammed police officers at the Capitol. Uh, remember the, the uh, attack on the Capitol? The one that went away right away? It was a car attack. I think he ran over a police officer. He was, he was a, a devotee of the Nation of Islam. Immediately, once they saw his skin color, I said, well, forget about it. Never mind. Not this story. It's weird how that works. Martin Luther King is crying. He's rolling over in his grave. I mean, what in the hell have you people done to my dream, to my vision? You bastardized my words. And they still use his words today. Oh, they selectively edit them. They choose and they say, oh, he was very much against poverty. Okay, fine. Let's talk about what he was talking about, about race. No, 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 we don't want to talk about that. He wanted an expanded welfare state. Well, maybe he did. Maybe he did. But it's different. He wanted different things at different points in his life. The, most, uh, the thing he is most known for is fighting for equality. Equality. Equality means equality, not equity. Martin Luther King Jr. was not fighting for equity. He was fighting for equality. He did not get murdered fighting for equity. He got murdered fighting for equality. Equality is different from equity. Equality is the, the same starting line, the same chances. Equity is the same finish line, the same outcome. That is impossible to do. Think about it. If you have siblings, are you all the same now? Your parents loved you all the same. You were raised all the same way, but I bet you that some of you have taken different paths. Some of you may have ended up in prison. Some of you may have ended up, you know, in the military. You all sorts of different paths from the same starting point. Some of you have more money than others. Others don't have any money. You take your pick. That's inequitable. Your family probably needs to be broken up retroactively according to the left. But of course, they ascribe any differences based on skin color, based on gender, based on sexual preference, based on whatever. Meanwhile, while they obsess on those sorts of things, a madman Democrat goes around and shoots a whole bunch of people. Hmm. Where are their priorities? Not you. Not you at all. Not you remotely at all. You know, it's funny is with all this social justice warrior garbage and this guy, this uh, alleged shooter, this wanted person of interest up in New York, I bet you he considered himself a social justice warrior. I bet he did. He's a social justice. He's out there just fighting for social justice. He's the victim. Don't you get it? You can hear it in his tone. He is fighting against genocide. And if you listen to this show for any length of time, which you should every day, you know that I've talked about this relentlessly. The, the, the left always says what? The right's rhetoric is so extreme. It's so extreme. It's causing violence. And you go, well, what violence? And they go, it's causing, it's violent rhetoric. And I say, yeah, you know, you, you said that. Elaborate. Can you cite example? No, no, I can't. They, they did. Every once in a while, somebody will go, well, that guy who flew the plane into the IRS building, except he was a devoted Democrat. So it, it, it falls apart upon scrutiny. But what they accuse us of doing is always what they're doing. It's the best way to know what they're up to is, and, and what they're about is what they accuse us of doing and being.
And they accuse us of everything under the sun. More in particular, they talk about oh, the violent rhetoric of the right. This transition, they hear it all the time. Pete Buttigieg, the, the trans legislation is going to, it's going to cost people their lives. How? Well, uh, violence against them and suicide. Well, suicide I can't be responsible for. And you, you can't really explain somebody with a mental disorder. You can't blame that on, on people going, you shouldn't be talking to five-year-olds about your sex life, right? But uh, they, they do this constantly. Rhetoric inspires people. Now, yeah, it has in the past. A guy called James Hodgkinson listened to the Democrats talk about health policy and said that the Democrats' plan to uh, replace Obamacare was going to cost 10,000 lives per year. This was a, either a Harvard or a Princeton study, so it had to be legit. It was garbage. But that was what the uh, Rachel Maddows of the world, who James Hodgkinson was a huge fan of, that is what they were saying on their program. They were also calling Donald Trump Hitler. Now, if you are at all emotionally or mentally unstable and a committed leftist, and you're sitting there and you're watching the Rachel Maddows of the world, and they say, we've got the new Hitler in the White House, and they're going to kill 10,000 people a year through their health plans. And that's just a start. And boy, howdy, they're ready to kill as many people as possible. If you're unstable, don't you have or don't you feel almost a moral obligation to act? Who wouldn't, given the chance you're thrust back to 1934 in, in Berlin and you're sitting there and you're going, Hitler's in power and he's seducing this country and he's consolidating his power. And I know what he's becoming. I can see what he's becoming. I know what he became. I must act and try and take out Hitler. Who wouldn't do that? Who wouldn't think that, at least? Well, the same thing is true for unstable leftists. Now, they'll say these people, they never acknowledge that their words. They never acknowledge that James Hodgkinson exists, let alone that he was a super fan of MSNBC. But the rhetoric that they, well, that they use, that they claim that we are using to inspire violence is what they do. We're told what? Donald Trump's speech and actions leading up to January 6th led to that violent, deadly insurrection, the armed, deadly insurrection where one person died and was shot by a police officer, Ashley Babbitt, and no, there were no arms there except for the ones with the police that were ever used or discharged. And you go, yeah, no, but Donald Trump's rhetoric? What, what rhetoric? The part in the speech where he said to go peacefully down to the Capitol and have their voices heard? Is that part of the uh, violent rhetoric? Meanwhile, you're calling everybody who disagrees with you a Nazi. Maybe, just maybe, some people will take you seriously on that. I know you're not serious. You're not serious people in the media over there. The Joy Reads of the world. Everything is racist. Everything is racist. And evil whitey, who isn't a progressive, for some weird reason, progressive whiteys are okay, they are out there to not only damage but destroy black people. If you watch MSNBC, you listen to the college professors that they have on regularly as guests and contributors, and you just sit there and you go, 
This is such garbage. I play it for you all the time on this show. This is garbage rhetoric. It is hate-filled rhetoric. You're fine. You can spew it, but don't pretend it's in a vacuum that you're just screaming at the, the wind. It has a result. Not many people, but how many people does it take? And this guy, Frank James, appears to have been one of them who heard this rhetoric and said, well, I believe them. They're horrible. They're all out to get me. And, and I don't know, it's 62 years old. There's got to be something mental going on there. But it's not just this New York City terrorist who's still at large. It is Black Lives Matter, for example. Now, I have some audio here of Patrice Colliers at an event, I guess it was last week, Talking about now, she's the one who had to leave Black Lives Matter because uh, now how much did she actually leave? We don't know. But she had to leave Black Lives Matter. Why? Because she had turned out that she was somehow got her hands on millions of dollars and started buying up really nice houses across the country for herself, you know, in the name of justice or something like that. And so she resigned because she said she'd become a distraction. She never explained where she got the millions upon millions of dollars from this supposed nonprofit. And they still don't know. I don't know that we have an accounting of where the uh, $60 million that was missing the other day or a couple of weeks ago actually went. But uh, Patrice Colliers went to talk to another black activist group, and she was not going to be questioned about those sorts of things. Instead... She whines about her 990 form at Black Lives Matter. The Black Lives Matter is a nonprofit. As a nonprofit, any nonprofit out there, you have to file annually what is called a 990, a form 990. Anybody can call up and request an organization that is a 501c3's 990 form. A 990 form gives you broad overview of where the money goes. It's not every penny, but it's big chunks of money. It gives you the highest paid officers' salaries. It gives you where the money comes from. It gives you, you know, you're buying this building, you're buying that. It gives you an overview. You can get a pretty good sense of what's going on. It's for the general public. They are tax exempt, which essentially means that or they're tax free. They're, so they're charities. It means we're picking up the tab that they otherwise would pay in their taxes by not paying taxes. So to hold them accountable, transparency is required. Anybody can call up Media Matters for America and request their 990 form. Anybody can call up the Heritage Foundation and request their 990 form, and they have to send it to you. There's, there's no way, although they, Media Matters might take their time, especially depending on where you work or what your email address is, but they'll generally send it to you because... It's all public information anyway. A lot of them have them posted on their websites. For some reason, Patrice Colliers and Black Lives Matter don't like that very much because, well, then you discover that they're buying $5 million mansions in Los Angeles so they can film videos and have a safe space for artists, black artists, or so they say, only after they've been caught spending their money on these sorts of things. But uh, she says that the 990, that the idea that the 990 is out there and anybody can see it is triggering to her. Now, triggers are, triggers are currency in the left. If you're triggered, you got a trigger warning. You, oh, you're triggering me. That stops everything and every proceeding everywhere on the left. Like, oh, my goodness, I didn't mean to trigger you. I'm sorry. Listen to Patrice Collier's talk about this. 
uh, how the 990 for BLM is triggering. In the new standards. That's exactly right. Um, it's a really good question. I think, you know, first of all, number one, I actually did not know what 990s were before all of this happened. It's confusing. I, so part of the opportunity here is to educate yes. our folks. Like something's being weaponized against us that many people don't even know and honestly don't care about. I didn't know about them until they started asking us for them for COVID relief funds. <laughs> I said, you need my 990. <laughs> I yes. had to call the accountant. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the accountant handled that. Like, I, I don't know what that is. Um, it, it is such a trip now to hear the word, the, 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 the term 990s. I'm like, ugh, it's like triggering. Um, April 15th is next week. Yo. Yo. Yeah, don't worry. You're not paying taxes. <laughs> Probably. But I love it. Oh, no. The 990, it's so triggering. What is? The idea that the general public would know what you're doing? If you want to keep that stuff from the general public, if you don't want anybody to know that you're buying up mansions, that you're hoovering up mansions the way Hunter Biden sucks up cocaine off of a hooker's bare naked breast, there's a very simple way to do that. Make yourself a private corporation and not a nonprofit. Pay taxes on the money that you raise. And you don't have to tell anybody anything about what you're doing with the money. Right? The donors might want to know, but you don't have to tell the public. You can tell us to go get bent. But if you want the tax-exempt status, if you want the benefits that come along with that, which means bigger donations from corporate America, evil corporate America, stupid corporate America, more like it. If you want those benefits come from there, the companies want to be able to write off their donations to you. So you have to be a charity. It's a trade-off. Patrice, you're able to buy what three or four or five houses, whatever the hell it is, for yourself because those corporations wrote big fat checks to you because you were a charity. If you don't want to be held accountable for it, don't be a charity. But she sounds so mad. So, oh, people looking at our books. People, yeah, pay taxes and you don't have to worry about it. Pay taxes and you can keep it quiet. And of course, who is weaponizing the uh, the 990? It's evil whitey, of course. Patrice Collier's is just, uh, well, I assume she inspired Frank James up in New York, too. The rhetoric did. He was a big fan of Black Lives Matter, so why wouldn't he? But she went on about how the 990s, poor 990s being weaponized. If you don't have anything embarrassing in your 990, if you don't have anything unsavory in your 990, if you don't have you know, uh, weird transfers or obscene salaries or just money disappearing in your 990s and you don't have to worry about it. There's nothing that can be weaponized. Just like if you tell the truth, uh, it's a much easier story to remember. You don't have to worry about somebody else saying, you know, you told me something different. You start lying, you start changing your story. The truth remains the truth. Patrice Collier is very upset that the 990 shows the world just some of what she and her fellow comrades in the Communist Party are doing with their money. And it ain't, you know, communism. It's been so much um, clarity for me, a questioning for me. I don't know if I have clarity or answers yet, but I'm like, wow, it, this doesn't seem like, this doesn't, this doesn't seem safe for us. This 990 structure, this nonprofit system structure, this is like deeply unsafe. Like this is being literally weaponized against us, against the people we work with. I can't tell you how many people are like, am I next?
Like, is, are they going to do this to me? As, as, so there's not a lot of, um, that's like, uh, when you, you know this, you run an organization, like people's morale in an organization is so important. Yes. But if their organization and the people in it are being attacked at, with, at, and scrutinized at everything they do, that leads to, to deep burnout. That leads to deep, like, resistance and, and, and trauma. Trauma. My God, I hope you're providing counseling services for these people. Burnout. Oh, this type of scrutiny. You mean somebody knowing what you're doing with the millions of dollars that you're raising under a charitable guise? That? You're scared to death that somebody will find that out? Why? All you've got to do is not do anything unseemly like buy a whole bunch of personal homes for yourself and you probably will skate pretty pretty cleanly through any investigation or even any cursory look at your 990 form. The problem is the Black Lives Matter file these forms late. They file them incomplete. They ask for extensions. They, they do everything you would do if you were in the midst of a con trying to postpone the inevitable. As your house of cards is collapsing, as your Ponzi scheme is going under, Imagine this Bernie Madoff did these sorts of things. I'll get you that. Don't worry. Oh, we're working on it. And the lawyers slow walk that while you plan your escape. It's kind of hard to plan your escape to another country when you, all your wealth that you uh, <clears throat> earned is tied up in real estate. But maybe maybe she's found another way. Maybe there's more money. We still don't know where that $60 million is. So then she concludes again talking about how Evil Whitey is weaponizing the 990 form, and I don't know how knowing what somebody's doing can be weaponized, but I'm not a member of the BLM inner circle making millions of dollars. And so I think that other piece for me around, you know, what I think it's is important for people to understand is, and it's connected to the, to this question, but there is a there is a misinformation and disinformation. Um, uh, effort to not just um, challenge Black Lives Matter and the organization, but it's an experiment. If they win, then it's the next Black-led organization. Yes, it is. And then it's the next Black-led organization, and it's the next Black person who's leading that. And so it's so important that we pay attention to what's happening and we don't allow for, they, and they have this so, they know what they're doing, like how to create the infighting, how to create the distrust, we have to stop it. We can't, we have to stop it before they do it. We have to shut it down. We have to be showing up against it. And so that has been really important to me too. Like taking the time to kind of stand back and watch it happening and being like, oh, this is how this works. Like we, we are literally the experiment right now. Oh, she's a hero. Just ask her. Now notice the way she does the perfect manipulators tap dance. This organization is corrupt, but if they expose our corruption, they come after me. If they got, and then who's going to be next? Is it going to be you? Is it going to, no, I, we're not corrupt. Nobody, if anybody else is corrupt, then yeah, they should absolutely worry. But BLM is uniquely corrupt in that they've raised so much money and uh, seem to have used it in ways that really mainly seem to benefit a very few people. But she said, no, 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 but if they come after us, they'll come after every, who's next, who's next? Well, whoever's next would have to be somewhat nearly as corrupt as you. You're not dealing with your corruption, you're deflecting from it because, well, that's what corrupt people do, that's what con artists do. 
Um, the Hollywood stuff. Now, I'm going to shift gears a little bit to Hollywood just for a second because this is, these are the people who are, what, preaching at us nonstop. Morality, their morality. Our morality is evil. Their morality is the only morality that's worth a damn. Blah, 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 blah. And you're sitting there and you're going, just shut up. I know you're a hypocrite, first of all, out in Hollywood. I mean, come on. Is there a bigger den of perverts out there in the world? No. No, there may be the Middle East, but not not generally known. And they moralize. Oh, the don't say gay bill. We're going to protest Florida. Oh, the uh, abortion laws in Georgia. We don't like the fact that you're, you've only given women three months to figure out whether or not to have an abortion. Therefore, we're going to uh, move, move our productions someplace else. And nobody ever stops to think, well, why were you in Georgia anyway? And it's well because they give you tax credits. They give you money to film in Georgia and employ Georgians. And you go, well, that seems a little bit weird considering you guys advocate nonstop for higher taxes. Same reason most movies are filmed in either Georgia or Vancouver. Vancouver pays you a whole bunch of, it's like a certain percentage of what you spend in Georgia. It's a certain percentage of what you spend and you go, all right, now I can make, uh, I can spend 100% of our budget, or, and, but really only have to put up 60% because the state will kick in 40% or whatever it is. I'm making the numbers up, but it's, it's significant enough to film just about every movie, no matter where it's set, in Georgia or Vancouver. Watch the very end of the credit, and they'll tell you where the movie was, was filmed. And most of them, at least in part, yeah, there's some B-roll, there's some other things that couldn't be faked. But they are in Georgia or they are in Vancouver. While they advocate and demand that everybody pay higher taxes, the industry explicitly does everything they can to avoid taxes. There's a famous story, Breaking Bad. I love Breaking Bad. And uh, Better Call Saul's final season is going to start maybe this weekend. Not sure. It's soon. Um. Brian Cranston was on Adam Carolla's podcast. And Adam Adam tells this story because afterwards, Brian Cranston had to go to the airport to go fly to what is it, Santa Fe or New, somewhere in New Mexico. I can't remember what city in New Mexico. To, to film, to start filming Breaking Bad. And Cranston told Carolla, this isn't on the podcast as well, that Carolla was driving him to the airport that the show was originally going to be set in Los Angeles, but they moved it to New Mexico for tax purposes. Like, well, there's another example. L.A.'s high taxes, losing out, losing the state money, losing the state employment, losing the state business, because they want to chase the dollar, while all the while moralizing and saying, you must vote for Democrats or you're some sort of monster. Disney is, of course, chief among these groups. They are out there going, you must allow teachers to preach about their sexuality and their sex lives or else you're a mutton. How? How? I keep saying it, but it's true. I didn't know Jack Diddly Dipty Doo about my, my teachers. Their first name, I didn't know their first name. But it's immoral now if you can't talk about going paddleboarding with your life partner. Well, while Hollywood stands up to Florida for gay rights, Variety reports, Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore, it's the 
I guess they're technically Harry Potter prequels. They're making some interesting changes for a very big market. Vanity or Variety reports references to a gay relationship in Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore, were edited out of the movie by Warner Brothers for the film's release in China. Only six seconds of the movie's 142-minute runtime were removed. Dialogue was, that was edited out alluded to the romantic past between male characters Dumbledore and Grindelwald. Harry Potter author J.K. Rowling revealed Dumbledore was gay in 2009, but the movies had never explicitly referenced the character's sexuality until this third Fantastic Beasts entry. That's kind of funny because when J.K. Rowling announced that Dumbledore was gay, people went back. She was done with the books. It was over by then. <laughs> like, really, there's, there's, so he's just gay. Like, you never, you never once referenced it. The uh, gay rights mafia was all like, yay, and then they were mad because they didn't put in love scenes or whatever for, for Dumbledore. And now they hate J.K. Rowling because she says that a woman is a woman. They cheered her 11 years ago, and she said, oh, this character's gay. Oh, yay, so progressive. And she said, but women are women. No, oh, no, you're a monster. But don't you love, they're editing a movie because China doesn't want gay references in it. And they're demanding in this country that teachers be free, allowed, encouraged even, to discuss their sexuality and gender and all these other things with children in kindergarten. Moralizing the people. The Oscars a couple of weeks ago, a couple of the acceptance speeches lectured the country about how, what was it, Jessica Chastain won Best Actress for playing Tammy Faye Baker or whatever. She lectured about how, oh my goodness, there are so many people that are being marginalized in this country and it's just so wrong. This country is evil and horrible. And whoever it was, I don't know, from... Uh, West Side Story won Best Supporting Actress, whatever her name was. She's like, oh, uh, now I remember when I was a kid, there was a gay or queer, black, trans child or whatever the hell she said she was. Riding in the back of a car. Who knows now that you can do anything? Well, you can't do anything in China. And your industry, should you go into Hollywood, will bow down as quickly as humanly possible to China. Altering the movie. They famously made the, uh, what was it, the, the uh, Taiwanese flag on Tom Cruise's flight jacket and Top Gun. They made that disappear. They make all sorts of things disappear, including their own citizens. They film movies. Hollywood films movies in the Shenzhen province. I think I'm mispronouncing that, but it doesn't matter. Shenzhen province in China, where the Uyghurs are being enslaved and a genocide is currently actively against them. And at the end of their movies, they say, thanks to China, particularly the Shenzhen province, where labor is remarkably inexpensive. <laughs> Variety reports Warner Brothers accepted China's request to remove six, six, six seconds from the movie. The dialogue lines, because I was in love with you and the summer Gellert and I fell in love, were cut from The Secrets of Dumbledore. The rest of the film remains intact, including an understanding that Dumbledore and Grindelwald share an intimate bond. 
Quote, as a studio, we are committed to safeguarding the integrity of every film we release, and that extends to circumstances that necessitate making nuanced cuts in order to respond sensitively to a variety of in-market factors, Warner Brothers said. Yeah. Our hope is to release our features worldwide as released by their creators, but historically, we have faced small edits in local markets. How do you think? I love that. One and a half billion Chinese are just a local market. It's just a local market. And we're just cutting a little bit off of it. It's, you know, insensitive over there. No, no, no. The communists said jump and you said how high? The communists said jump and you said how high? That's that simple. It's a huge market. You're going to stand to make a lot of money and you won't make that lot of money if you end up... Um, not being able to show your movie there. Now, I don't know. I've seen the other two Fantastic Beast movies. They, uh, they used to star Johnny Depp. I don't actually know. Johnny Depp was, became persona non grata because he, what did he, he was accused by his wife, then wife, Amber Heard, of being a domestic abuser. And the Me Too movement got him. Right? The Me Too movement said Johnny Depp's got to go. Johnny Depp's got to go. So they wrote him out or whatever of this movie. They just booted him from this movie. I don't know if they replaced him. They made a new bad guy or not. I'm trying to look it up as I talk. But it is telling that uh, he played Grindelwald. Yeah, so he's gone. He's got to be gone. God, how pathetic is that? Johnny Depp right now is currently across the... Uh, Potomac in the midst of a uh, trial of defamation trial uh, from his ex-wife, Amber Heard. Let's see, who's going to play? Dumbledore Grindelwald. Some guy named Mads, oh, you know, you'd recognize this guy. Mads Mikkelsen is now playing Grindelwald. They care so deeply about political correctness here that they got rid of one of the biggest stars in Hollywood, Johnny Depp. On the word of one person, which is wildly refuted in the subject of a legal proceeding right now in Northern Virginia. If you really want to see Johnny Depp or Amber Heard, apparently they're in court often. So you can go over there and, and see them. But they'll throw him to the wolves. But China says, hey, you're going to cut this gay stuff. And they go, yes, sir, sir, yes, sir, we'll do that. As reported by Variety, Secret of Dumbledore won the box office race in China during its opening weekend. The sequel opened in China on April 8th, the week ahead of its April 15th U.S. launch, and earned $62 million, $9.7 million in the current exchange rate. That doesn't seem like that much money. If your artistic integrity... Now, granted, I would take $9.7 million any day of the week. Don't get me wrong, but... If you're sitting there going, we need to deal with all of the bad publicity we're going to get from this for $9.7 million opening weekend, when a good opening weekend in the U.S. is several times that number, 10, 15, sometimes $100, $150 million is a big opening weekend. I don't know that this will rate that, but that seems like a small amount of money. But then you have to realize that China, what China does China won't just say, all right, then Fantastic Beasts won't come out here in China. 
They'll look at Warner Brothers and they'll say, in all these other movies, they're not going to be allowed in. We're going to blacklist the company. We're going to ban the company for a while or pick and choose. We're going to get rid of some of your... And then it starts to damage the company's bottom line. They're communists. They use the power of government to punish their enemies. They're a lot like Democrats here in this country. Democrats here in this country watch this and they don't say damn thing about it. They go, how can I, how can I make you more comfortable with my art, China? How can I make you more comfortable? It's pretty sad, pretty pathetic. And then you got Tom Cruise jacket being changed. And the next thing you know, well, the, what is it? The Red Red Dawn. That was Red Dawn. They remade Red I never saw the new Red Dawn. I kind of want to see it. But it's thankfully, they don't show it very often. I, I still love the original. But the original bad guys in the Red Dawn were going to be China. China said, no way. We don't want anybody to think of us in a negative light right before they released a pandemic on the world. So they changed it. The studio changed it to be North Korea. North Korea somehow has the ability to invade the United States. They can't feed their people, but they can invade the United States. Needless to say, that version of Red Dawn didn't do very well at the box office because it wasn't super believable. Not that the first one was all that believable, but at least had some reality to who the bad guy was. Anyway, these people are the people who moralize at you. Remember that next time you hear some woke Disney executive talking about how we need to be more tolerant and how anybody who doesn't want their kindergartner to preach to about sex and gender is just a prude, monster, transphobe, evil, evil person. That as soon as they get off that conference call, they are bowing to Beijing faster than they can hit the hang-up button. Our vice president, we've got to talk about Kamala Harris. We really do. Because you're sitting there and you, you watch her, her popularity is, it's not good. It's not good. Think of somebody who's wildly unpopular and uh, Kamala Harris is envious of their popularity. But... You sit there and you go, well, she's been elected. She was elected United States senator from the state of California. There's certainly no lack of people in the state of California. It's our most populous state. There's also the fact that she was elected statewide to be attorney general in California. You'd think somebody with, with that resume would have some political acumen. They have to have something, right? I mean, they have to bring something to the... Something you're sitting there and, you, and no, you don't. I, it, there's weird things, party ID being chief among them, but there are weird things that influence people's votes. You look at the members of Congress, look at the House of Representatives. There are some weird dudes in there. There are just some really creepy people in there. You probably never heard of them. Most of them don't make it on television. But every once in a while, you catch a glimpse of somebody uh, asking questions at a committee hearing. And you're going, what in the hell was the alternative to this person? What? And it's, it's funny and sad simultaneously. And you realize that it's not always who runs the best campaign. Identity politics rules the day in Democratic party politics. So Kamala Harris, very good at identity politics when it comes to campaign season. She's, she's an Indian American when she needs to be. She's a, an African American when she needs to be. She is a Caribbean American when she needs to be. It just depends on the moment and what suits her needs at any given time. 
So that has to be why she got elected. Because if you listen to her speak, if you watch her campaign, or you watch her just give an interview, you go, my God. My God, what the hell is going on? You know, what's funny is, and I just saw this yesterday, and I hadn't thought about it, is that Joe Biden is really kind of a, a non-entity in the grand scheme of things. He really is. He's he's just kind of the, the Chauncey Gardner accidental president who wasn't even in town that month. The only interview, Joe Biden has given one sit-down interview in 2022 so far. Think about that. One interview in 2022. And that was for the Super Bowl halftime or the halftime or pregame or whatever it was. That was it. Lester Holt, 10 minutes. That's it. He hasn't sat down with anybody, not in television, not in print, nothing since then. Think about that. It's we're the, the middle of April. The Super Bowl was, well, I mean, forget it. April's the fourth month. One day out of four months, the president of the United States deigned to give an interview. Yeah, he's taken a couple of questions here and there. But a sit-down interview where there can be serious preparation and follow-up questions, possibly. He certainly would never do an interview with Fox. But, you know, the possibility of a decent follow-up is a real thing. If I can't remember exactly what Lester Holt asked him, but I do remember him kind of screwing up a little bit at that point. So uh, they don't want him to sit down with anybody. What's amazing to me isn't that he's given one interview so far four months into a, a year. It's that the fact that he's only given one interview four months into a year isn't a bigger issue among the press corps. These are the people who theoretically should want to have an interview with the president of the United States. Why isn't Ginger Goebbels, Jen Psaki over there being inundated with question upon question about when will the president give a sit down interview? What is the president hiding? Why does he shuffle out of the room after giving a press statement most times without taking any questions? When will this happen? They don't do it. They're not interested. They know that they sat down. First of all, if they sat down with Joe Biden now, one of these mainstream media outlets would have to ask some questions. Well, I guess they wouldn't have to, but they'd be the laughing stock of the country if they didn't ask about Hunter Biden and the laptop. They didn't ask anything about that. Right now, there's a war in Ukraine. Hunter took a lot of money out of Ukraine. Joe had the power over Ukraine when he was vice president. There's a lot of ties to Ukraine there, the nexus between the Biden family enterprises and Joe Biden. Somebody would have to, or theoretically, would bring that up and go, hey, wait, what this seems a little bit weird. Joe can't answer those questions, and Joe gets mad when he's asked those questions. So they can't really put him in a position to be asked those questions on top of the dementia, on top of the, the problems that he has. So you would think these are the times where you send out the vice president. This is where a vice president can come in handy to take the heat, to answer some questions. So at least the administration has a public face out there. No, you'd be wrong, because when they put the vice president out there, she says some of the most ridiculous, meaningless things you'd ever, ever imagine. Yesterday, she was up in Philadelphia at a uh, sheet metal workers 
local up there, local 19 or something like that, local 19, local 10. I think it was local 19. And she gave an interview to a local television station or took a couple of questions from a local television station. You would think on a day when the new inflation numbers are announced that the vice president would be prepared for questions about inflation. It'd be, you know, it's like being caught off guard by a question about Ukraine or being caught off guard about a question about the border, both of which Kamala Harris has been completely caught off guard by while in Europe talking about Ukraine. She's going to Europe to, to talk about Ukraine specifically. She's asked questions about Ukraine. Had no idea. Couldn't answer it. Went down to the southern border the one time and was asked questions about the southern border. Completely ill-prepared for it. So why should this be any different? So yesterday in Philadelphia, she was asked um, about inflation. And her answer was hilarious. The administration is concerned enough to do something about it. Yeah. Uh, You think I'm mocking that and just saying, well, that's what No, no. Listen to what she says herself. She says just that. People just want an end point. Do you have one to give them? What I can say is that people deserve to know that their president, that our administration, is concerned enough to do something about it. And so that is what we are doing. So that is what we are doing. We are concerned enough to do something about it. And so that is what we're doing. Oh, wow. There's there you go. Uh, what does that mean exactly? I don't know. We're concerned enough about it to do something. We're going to is she. I mean, there's people are kept out of the loop in administrations all the time. Is she kept out of the White House? Is she kept out of being able to read the newspapers? I know she's had a lot of staff turnover and difficulty maintaining staff because apparently she's horrible to work for. But my God, somebody ought to be able to, she should have access to the internet to read the New York po- New York Times or Washington Post to find out what the administration is at least trying to claim about inflation. Shouldn't she? No, we're concerned enough to do something about this. She wasn't done. She wasn't done. She then went on to just basically acknowledge the existence of inflation. She acknowledges that prices have gone up and then tosses yet another meaningless word salad that just shows that she is completely ill-prepared for questions about inflation. A lot of people go to the store and don't feel that their wages are going as far as they want them to. Then they get mad at the gas station. They're focusing a lot of that. On the White House, and you've talked about pandemic, you've talked about supply chain and uh, Ukraine, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but they're still putting that anger with the administration. Mm-hmm. What do you say to them? Well, first of all, I acknowledge one must acknowledge um, that prices are going up and that people are working hard and in many cases are worried about whether they can get through the end of the month and make it all work. <laughs> well, I acknowledge that, I must acknowledge that the prices are going up and people are worried. Okay, you, you, you're very good at repeating the question back to you, but you're not good at answering the question, Kamala. I don't mean to wake you or anything like that. 
but uh, it's kind of an important thing that you be able to answer the question, to address the issue at hand, not simply regurgitate the question back to somebody. <laughs> Just, uh, hey, when are we going to get relief from this? I understand that you want relief from this, and I understand that you want to know when you're going to get relief from this. And I want to acknowledge that I know that you know that we all are aware of the fact that you want relief from this, and that is why we are taking this very seriously and we are doing something about it. Thank you very much. What? what? Yeah, no, uh, that's that's your vice president. And you'll wonder why she's got a popularity rating or an approval rating of like the low to mid 30 percent. Uh, she's got a popularity rating uh, in the low to mid 30 percent because the low to mid 30 percent of the population isn't paying attention to what she's doing. Everybody else sees it. God. I forgot to mention the other day that Boris Johnson went over to Kiev. You seen the footage of Boris Johnson walking with uh, Zelensky? I almost forget that guy's name. Uh, down the streets of of Kiev, it's pretty badass. Boris Johnson, Joe Biden would never go over to Kiev. Joe Biden would never go that close to the border. But Boris Johnson was there. But Boris Johnson is also in the midst of a problematic situation himself. His government's COVID lockdowns and the fact that he and his staff violated them. Sky News reports. Um, Boris Johnson, his wife Carrie, and Chancellor Rishi Sunak have been notified that they will be fined for breaking lockdown rules. The fixed penalty notices are a result of Metropolitan Police investigation into parties in Downing Street and Whitehall in 2020 and 2021. Mr. Johnson will become the first sitting prime minister to receive a punishment for breaking the law. This is where the uh, the liberal party over there is hanging their hat on. Oh, Boris Johnson broke the law. He's got to resign. There are all these calls. Boris Johnson has to resign. He must resign. It's an outrage that he is not resigning. And you're like, it's getting a a fine, a civil infraction. It's like being caught jaywalking or something. And you say, uh, hey, I'm, uh, I got a ticket for jaywalking or a ticket for speeding as mayor. Does the mayor have to resign because they got a ticket for jaywalking? Yes, it's hypocritical. They impose lockdowns and impose restrictions on people. But I suppose maybe it's just that we're so used to it over in the United States from our liberal democratic politicians who are the ones who impose the most draconian of lockdowns. Is that what? Well, I got uh, Gavin Newsom. No indoor gatherings at an indoor gathering that night. No travel, and then various mayors going on travel. Pictures of them on flights without masks and all this stuff, and you just sit there and you go, well, there's no consequence. Somebody called for Gavin Newsom's resignation. They were, they did try to recall him, but it wasn't over that. It was over his draconian lockdowns to begin with. He won anyway. Every single major Democratic politician has been caught, I can't say accused, has been caught violating their own rules. London Breed, the mayor of San Francisco, remember her? Yeah, you got to wear masks inside, but she wasn't wearing a mask inside. What was her excuse? Well, uh, Tony, Tony, Tony was playing, and, you know, I got to dance to the sweet, sweet sounds of Tony, Tony, Tony. <laughs> what? Is there, let's look at your executive order and see if there's a Tony, Tony, Tony exemption in there. I don't think there is. 
All of these people are frauds. All of these politicians are frauds. So is it a good thing that Boris Johnson was having parties and his administration was having parties while they were denying everybody else the right to do that? No. But should he resign? I mean, I don't care what happens over there. I don't think that the UK, the UK's Liberal Party is the so rabidly anti-Semitic and just generally racist and super uber progressive that the people over there, I mean, the, the Tory party, the conservative party isn't all that conservative, but the public over there has roundly rejected. I mean, they, they elected a guy with Boris Johnson's hairdo. They elected a guy with a, a clear allergy to a comb or even running his fingers through his hair while it's wet to put it in place that they're not going to vote for the liberal party. It would just be another conservative party prime minister. But the idea that this is so egregious, I don't know, maybe they haven't been caught being raging hypocrites in the UK the way they have been here in the US. And, and I saw this story too, real, real quick. The US Sun, time travelers, there's a new drug, there's a new drug. High Street, this is over in the UK too. High Street retailer Superdrug has launched new jet lag tablets to help Brits beat the misery, misery of long haul flights. The melatonin tablets are suitable for travelers over the age of 18 and come in boxes of 10 or 20. For a pack of 20 tablets, Brit left salt, blah, 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 thousands of Brits. You can take, you can eat your way to the holidays. These are tablets, pills, medicine, drugs that will allegedly help you avoid jet lag. Now, they list a whole bunch of things about uh, jet lag that I didn't know. Disturbed sleep cycle, yeah, I got that. Nausea, I don't know about that. I never had nausea from jet lag. Or indigestion, diarrhea, constipation, seems like it's just a complete mess. There's a simple way to get over jet lag. You don't need to take drugs for it. Do we really need medicine for this crap? Sleep. Sleep. Don't exp Don't plan a marathon the second you get off your flight to Australia, then you won't be impacted by jet lag all that much. There you go. There's your pro tip for the day. All right. Don't plan a marathon. Don't plan excruciating exerted activity till you get to your hotel and fall asleep for a while. Yeah, you're going to screw up your first day of travel abroad. Maybe you can power your way through part of a museum before you absolutely need to fall asleep. But the sooner you fall asleep, the better off you'll be because then your body will adjust. You want to take drugs to do that? We need a drug for everything. We don't need a drug for every damn thing, for God's sakes. Adjust your sleep. We're adults, theoretically. You should be able to handle this by now. My God. I want to shift gears here to something pretty funny. We could all use a laugh. Good Lord, we could all use a laugh. The, uh, although the, the topic isn't particularly, the circumstances around the topic is not particularly funny. The Parkland shooting, school shooting down there, the trial down there of uh, Nicholas Cruz. Apparently, the, they're sentencing portion of it i don't know how this takes six months but they're saying that the portion the sentencing trial to find out whether he gets a death sentence or not or just life in prison could take up to six months why do you need a jury for just jury make a recommendation or judge step up but uh, the jury selection for the sentencing uh this is from the new york post the prospective juror who was dismissed 
for sentencing of Florida school shooter Nicholas Cruz after telling the judge she's both married and has a sugar daddy, says she would have missed out on $8,000 a month if she was on the jury. Now, what? Well, there's some hilarious audio that has come out of this, of the judge talking to this. But I've been on jury duty in downtown Baltimore twice, twice. I had to go down there and just sit there for one time and nothing came of it. So I, I wasn't called. The second time I had to go down for two days, I was selected for jury duty, even though I tried to make it clear that uh, I'm probably on the side of police no matter what. I, I was just doing everything I could to get out of it, and it didn't work. And then they cut a plea deal. The only thing I remember about the case is it was an attempted murder case. Some guy jumped out of a van and tried to shoot somebody at a bus stop. He unloaded 10 rounds on this guy jumping out of a van at a bus stop, more, no more than 5 or 10 feet away from him, and missed with every single shot and then got caught. They cut some kind of plea deal. I'm sure he did 20 minutes in jail, given that it's Baltimore, and that's just how things work out. But uh, you, you notice that the people, everybody tries to get out of jury duty. They just do. Which leads to people who can't get out of jury duty being the ones who are on jury duty. Which leads to a lot of people who you don't really want deciding your fate to be serving on juries. Maybe you should, you know, consider upping the pay or something, making it somehow desirable. You get extra paid vacation days or something if you go on a jury. Some of the people that are on juries are not the best, and some of the people who are in jury pools are not the best. Hence, this woman. This is the exchange, the actual exchange with the judge she said that she needs to see her sugar daddy every day. She can't, uh, she can't serve on this thing because she needs to see her sugar daddy every day. There's dates in, in, in July that you're not available. What are July those dates? July 7th, July 4th, which is closed, and July 18th. But you're then again, I need to figure out something. I have my sugar daddy that I see every day. I'm sorry? My sugar daddy. Okay, I'm not exactly sure what you're talking about. But well, we'll... I'm married and I have my, my sugar daddy. Okay. And I see him every day. All right, ma'am, we'll come back to you. Okay, thank you. <laughs> I am uh, married and I have my sugar daddy and I need to see him every day. Now, she's only identified, and this should have been a tip-off, she's only identified as Miss Bristol. <laughs> Miss Bristol, okay. I don't know. If you're, I think it was... Uh, wasn't there an LL Cool J song called The Bristol Motel? Hmm. Maybe. I mean, there was a song called that. I don't know if it was LL Cool J. But, uh, yeah, Miss Bristol. Miss Bristol. Now, the local station down there, the ABC station down there, had to track down this person because when somebody says on television, on courtroom TV, court TV, that I got to see my sugar daddy, that sounds an awful lot like a lame excuse, right? It just sounds like I don't want to be a genius. If you're looking to get out of jury duty, you say, no, no, I can't. I won't be able to see my sugar daddy. I won't be able to make my money. But uh, what Ms. Bristol is essentially confessing to, both in court and in this report, strikes me now. I'm no expert. 
I'm no Democratic politician or no politician in general, but it strikes me as really dangerously close to prostitution one way or another. But uh, you can decide for yourself. Ms. Bristol was tracked down by the ABC 10 down there in Florida. And now to a one and only exclusive. Earlier this week, a potential juror in the penalty phase of the Parkland shooting trial told the judge she couldn't serve because she has a sugar daddy. Well, that clip went viral online, and now she wants to set the record straight. Local 10's Bridget Matter is in Fort Lauderdale with the exclusive interview. This woman said she wanted to talk to set the record straight, saying she was being honest that serving on this jury panel would put her in a financial hardship because she can't see her sugar daddy. A judge is looking for jurors to serve on a jury for up to six months in the penalty phase of the Parkland shooter trial. This woman says that would put her in a unique financial bind. It's all day for six months and that was my hardship. I need my sugar daddy money. I need my my sugar daddy money. What? So she's married and she's got a sugar daddy. She wants to set the record straight. She's out there screaming she's got a sugar daddy and she wants to set the record straight because she's afraid what? People will get the truth. People will get a true impression about this woman. She goes on. It, it gets it gets funnier. That woman is Mrs. Bristol. Her voice went viral when she told a judge last week she can't serve on a jury panel. I need to figure out something. I have my sugar daddy that I see every day. I'm sorry. My sugar daddy. Okay, I'm not exactly sure what you're talking about. But well, I'm married and I have my, my, my sugar daddy. Okay, I see him every day. The judge looked stunned, but Bristol says she wasn't trying to weasel her way out of jury duty. Instead, she claims it would mean losing out on as much as $8,000 a month. $8,000 a month? $8,000? I want to be, a sh I want to have a sugar daddy. Like $8,000 a month. But what? What in the hell is she doing for $8,000 a month? Now, I, uh, I'm trying to be delicate here. <clears throat> family show. Remember, this is a family show. If you see the video of Mrs. Bristol or Miss Bristol, depending on which report you're, you're viewing, um, you go $8,000? Really? $8,000 a month? Eight thousand dollars a month every day and like okay whatever <laughs> but good lord eight thousand dollars that sounds a lot like prostitution to me that sounds a lot like prostitution to me i could be wrong uh, but it sounds an awful lot like prostitution and where is this now she goes on to say that she could lose her house She'll say that in this last clip, that she could lose her house if she's forced to not see her sugar. If she's unable to see her sugar, you can't force her not to see her sugar daddy. Her husband doesn't seem bothered by it, so why the hell should anybody else? But um, it would be a hardship to her because she could lose her $8,000. That's a hell of a mortgage. That's a hell of a mortgage. Judging by, she's not spending the money on clothing. She's not spending the money on getting her hair done. She's not spending them. I don't know. Maybe she drives a Ferrari or something like that, but um, not spending it on jewelry, not spending it at the gym. So where does this eight? That's what I want to know. Like, what the hell do you do for $8,000 a month? 
And what do you spend that $8,000 a month on? Um, but, of course, the reporter was far too polite. I'm not that polite. Listen to her talk about how she'll be homeless if she wasn't able to get her sugar daddy's eight grand a month. If I do this case for six months, I have a hardship. That means my sugar daddy can't support me. The penalty phase for the shooter could last up to six months. Jurors would have to make a recommendation to the judge of a life or death sentence. Bristol says she was honest, saying her hardship was financial, so the judge excused her. So tell me what would happen if you didn't get this money from your sugar daddy. I might lose my house. I asked Bristol if the judge asked her to provide any proof of a financial hardship, and she said no, she was just dismissed. Eventually, 12 jurors and eight alternates will be seated, but Bristol will not be a part of that. <laughs> oh, that's a shame. That's a shame. I love that. Oh, no, I could lose my house. I could Really? If you're getting, I don't know. I would suspect just judging from the neighborhood where they're standing and that the mortgage payments are going to be between $1,000 and $2,000 a month, somewhere in that range. If she's raking in eight grand a month from her sugar daddy, you could put a little of that away for a rainy day. Like I said, she's not spending it at the gym. She's not spending it at uh, the hair salon. She's not spending it at uh, some fancy clothier or... She does have some gaudy gold jewelry around her neck, but it looks more like the type you'd buy at the mall kiosk rather than Tiffany's. But I could be wrong about that. But at some point, you know, you, you turn into Mr. T. You don't have that many gold necklaces. You don't need that many gold necklaces. Given the choice, buy another gold necklace or have a roof over your head. You probably would go with the roof over your head, I assume. I guess not everybody would go with the roof over their head, but you should. So... What is she doing that she couldn't save any? Look, if you got a sugar daddy giving you eight grand a month, and you uh, let's just say you're young and good looking, and you got a sugar daddy for eight grand a month, here's my pro tip advice for you: put half of it away. Put half of it away. Don't you don't have to invest it. You don't have to put it in crypto. You don't have to, just put it in a, a savings account. Just put it away, because whatever the hell you're doing for eight grand a month. You'd probably be able to do for a while, but you won't be able to do forever. <laughs> and sooner or later, you might get called for jury duty and you might lose your sugar daddy. Now, I don't know. You would think that your sugar daddy, she could see your sugar daddy in the evenings. There are all sorts of ways to keep this sugar daddy relationship going. I wish the judge would have explored this a little bit further. Like, won't your sugar daddy? Uh, you're not going to be sequestered. So, you know, we close court. Or we'll dismiss you at four o'clock every day. Couldn't you run over there and see your sugar daddy? And does your husband, maybe your husband could drive you over to your sugar daddy's? Like, what is the arrangement? here? I want a movie of the week based on the life of Miss or Mrs. Bristol. I need to know what's going on here. I have more questions than I have answers. And I don't know. I know that whatever the answers are, they're going to be absolutely hilarious. And so I want to know. I demand the American public needs to know. They produce hours and hours of garbage television on a regular basis. And then they every once in a while produce a Tiger King. Whoever made Tiger King, I want a documentary crew dispatched to Ms. Bristol's house now. I want the contracts signed by uh, Close of Business today, and I want filming. There's an interesting story there somewhere. And it is, she could be the new Joe Exotic. The world needs to know. <laughs> Can you imagine? 
I had a lot of excuses. I uh, was a victim of a crime. I don't believe in the justice system. I'm a communist or whatever. Lots of excuses to get out of jury duty. Never before have I heard, well, then I won't be able to earn $8,000 a month from my sugar daddy. I don't, I'm just going to go out on a limb here, Miss Bristol. I don't think your sugar daddy really loves you. If he's not willing to keep paying you while you're serving justice, only when you're serving him, uh, I don't think it's it's real love. Maybe you should go back to your husband. <laughs> maybe maybe your husband should service the sugar daddy. He's got the time. From the It Couldn't Have a Nicer People file. CNN Plus. Not going so well. Not going so well. CNN, who wants CNN Plus? They're making a mistake in not giving it away to everybody for free. That's... Fox understood that. You get people, uh, oh, it's free. You get it for a year free. You just give us your credit card number and we'll go from there. And then you just, it's all about headcount. It's all about, oh, we got this many subscribers, even though most of them aren't paying for anything. Now, CNBC reports, CNN struggles to lure viewers in its early days, drawing fewer than 10,000 daily users. Daily, that's not 10,000 at any given moment. Like the average rating is 10,000 people watching it at any moment. It is 10,000 people over the course of a day. Some people log in for 10 minutes. Some people log in for five. Some people log in for a couple hours. That means that the actual number of people watching this thing, watching this slow motion train wreck is infinitesimal. It's nothing. It's probably close to four to 5,000 at any given moment. And if provide, it's actually probably lower than that. Ten thousand daily users, um, especially the later and earlier shows. It's unbelievable. Fewer than ten thousand people are using CNN Plus day on a daily basis. Just two weeks into its existence, according to people familiar with the matter, reported CNBC. The people spoke to CNBC on condition of anonymity in order to discuss the uh, non-public data. CNN Plus launched on March 29th, a subscription news streaming service which charges $5.99 a month or $59.99 annually, only became available on Roku Monday and still isn't available on Android TV. Now, I love how they, they spin it this way. They spin it this way to say, well, that could be part of the uh, problem. And once we get it on Roku, expect those numbers to go up. As if there are waves and waves of Americans out there chomping at the bit going, oh, if only the second CNN Plus gets on Roku, I shall jump on it. Or if I get it on uh, Android TV, I'll do it. Everybody has, well, not everybody, I guess my dad doesn't, but the people who are inclined to subscribe to streaming services have computers, have tablets. Maybe they don't have something hooked up to their TV just yet. But uh, they have avenues through which to get this subscription service. They're not waiting. Well, if it can only come through my fire stick, then I'm in. That's not really the way it works. Still, the paltry audience cast doubt on the future of the application following the recently completed combination of Discovery and Warner Media into Warner Brothers Discovery. To put that daily user number in perspective, CNN's cable network suffered a sharp decline in viewership last year, but was still ranging up an average of seven hundred and seventy-three thousand dollar or seven hundred and seventy-three thousand total viewers a day. <laughs> Imagine being the CNN PR flack. I had to say, quote. 
We continue to be happy with the launch and its progress after only two weeks. <laughs> they should have never. This is such a dumb idea. They spent. A, they budgeted a billion dollars for this. Apparently, Chris Wallace, who left Fox News Sunday, to be. I, I don't know. I suppose he's the biggest name brought in exclusively for CNN Plus is allegedly having daily meltdowns uh, over the lack of viewership and has staffers counting the number of promos for his stuff that appear on CNN, like watching CNN. So somebody, if CNN gets a little bump in ratings, it'll be because Chris Wallace is screaming like a diva at his staff, making sure that they watch CNN to count the number of times they're promoting his existence on a streaming platform that it sh they just should call it a steaming platform. Let's be honest, it's a steaming pile of platform. Time to get a little realistic, Chris Wallace. You left a good job with an audience, and the audience didn't follow you because the audience was there for the network, not for the host. And now you're discovering that the hard way. It couldn't happen to nicer people. Looking at the new, there's uh, the Treasury Secretary. What's amazing to me is we've got... Kamala Harris unable to communicate basics about inflation. We had a massively horrible inflation report come out this week. The administration's whole response to inflation is not to even do anything about inflation. It's just to go, uh, Putin price hike. What about the price of food? Putin price hike. Yes, but if you, Putin price hike, that's just it. That's their whole response to everything. There's no change in policy. There's nothing, nothing of any consequence, nothing that matters. And now you got the Treasury Secretary, Janet Yellen, saying, quote, <clears throat> we must redouble our efforts to decarbonize our economies. Do you feel the need to decarbonize? Do you think that's going to be green economy? Is that the way of the future? That's the only way to fight inflation? No, that's the way to cause more inflation because you're going to be artificially limiting the supply of energy, you morons. Does anybody in economics in this administration understand economics? You artificially limit the supply, you will increase the price because demand remains the same or increases. Same with allowing millions upon millions of illegal aliens to enter the country at a time when wages are not increasing anywhere near the amount they need to increase to keep up with inflation, which means Americans, real Americans, actual Americans, are experiencing a pay cut. Democrats are saying, open the doors, come on in, get everybody in here. As many people as humanly possible, get them in here, bring it on. Well, what will that do? That floods the employment market which would artificially lower wages. So people would be able to afford less. Congratulations. And now they want to decarbonize our economy, which is green speak, communist green speak. We must do something green. My goodness, we're all going to die. We're all going to die if we don't do something. Except we've heard that before. There's a certain, there's a little story about uh, Chicken Little, right? Remember Chicken Little? The sky is falling. The sky never fell. People understood that it was garbage. That's what the Democrats are. Meanwhile, remember when Texas Governor Greg Abbott the other day, last week, said that he was going to 
get some buses and send some illegal aliens to Washington, D.C., let Washington, D.C. deal with them. They're here. They have arrived today. Fox News reports a bus from Texas arrived in Washington, D.C. Wednesday morning, transporting dozens of illegal immigrants as part of Texas Governor Greg Abbott's new plan to counter federal immigration policies during an ongoing border crisis. Abbott announced last week that he was directing the Texas Division of Emergency Management to transport migrants. They're not migrants. Uh, released from federal custody in Texas to the nation's capital and other locations outside his state. The bus pulled up at approximately 8 a.m. local time, blocks away from the U.S. Capitol building. Fox News has learned that they came from the Del Rio sector in Texas after coming to the U.S. from Colombia, Nicaragua, and uh, Cuba, and Venezuela. Cuba. Cuba. They come through Mexico from Cuba. Upon the bus's arrival Washington, D.C., in Washington, D.C., individuals disembarked one by one, except for family units who exited together. They checked in with officials and had wristbands they were wearing cut off before being told they could go. Well, isn't that just lovely? The family that illegal immigrates together stays together, probably, until, you know, MS-13 kills them because they refused to sell drugs or something like that. Uh, Abbott's plan is already working, according to Texas. Uh, the agency told Fox News on Monday that many of the communities that originally reached out for support from the Rio Grande Valley to Terrell County say the federal government stopped dropping immigrants in their town since Abbott's announcement on April the 6th. Some had questioned whether Abbott's plan to bus migrants was genuine. The White House dismissed it as a publicity stunt, but no, it it come now if they do this every single day it would make sense i'm not sure how you if we're being honest i got to assume that every one of these illegal aliens was like cool with going to washington dc cuz if they were just grabbed by state officials state authorities in texas and put on a bus against their will they wanted to go to Seattle or something like that, and no, Texas says you're going to Washington, D.C., I suspect, A, they would have been greeted by federal agencies with plane tickets for them to wherever they wanted to go. They'd also have been greeted by lawyers saying, we will sue the state of Texas and any and everybody else out there because they have somehow violated your rights to be in this country illegally. And it would have just been a complete and total disaster. So I suspect the people that were sent to D.C. wanted to go to D.C. But still, I like it. Ship as many of them as you possibly can out there. Get them the hell out. I mean, I don't want them around here. Not necessarily. Ideally, they would just be shipped immediately back to wherever the hell they came from. But that's not a priority of the, the Biden administration. To which I would say that any and everybody who is injured or killed by an illegal alien, and there are people who are injured or killed by illegal aliens regularly, they need to be publicized. They need to be pointed out. And all of that blood, every little last droplet of it, belongs on the hands of one Joseph Robinette Biden 
and Kamala, whatever the hell her middle name is, Harris, and Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and every single Democrat out there. They have unleashed people in this country who uh, have not gone through any background checks whatsoever. We know nothing of them. They have also all publicly stated that drunk driving is not a crime, really, in their eyes. That's certainly not worthy of deportation. So, you know, if you know somebody, you love somebody who gets killed by a drunk driver, or if somebody you know or you were ever actually arrested for drunk driving, next time you should just say, hey, I'm in the country illegally, and they'll probably let you go. But um, anybody who's ever been injured by a drunk driver, whatever happened to Mad? Mad was everywhere when I was in high school. There was sad students against drunk driving or driving drunk or whatever. Now they don't seem to be out there anymore because one would think that Mad would hear the president of the United States say, no, drunk driving's cool and it's not worth deporting some illegal alien, even repeated drunk driving. You'd think that would warrant a response from Mad, but it doesn't seem to have. None of it seems to have. Nothing these leftists do seems to have elicited any kind of response that you'd expect because they're genuinely insincere when it comes to every single aspect of their politics except for their desperate, unquenchable thirst for power. Period. End of story. So, yeah, keep shipping them. It would be better as if you could ship them on a bus and then take them back to Mexico. Don't tell them you're taking them to Mexico. But the problem is, if you try to enter Mexico with a bus full of illegal aliens, the Mexican authorities would stop you and turn you back. They don't want illegal aliens in Mexico. They, they actually respect themselves. In the time we have left, I want to get in a couple of stories here. This one, um, it, there's a lot of stories about the media. Two stories in particular. Apparently, the Washington Post reporting that newspapers keep eliminating print days. Print day. You'd think when I was a kid in Detroit, we had the Detroit News and the Detroit Free Press, and they both the Detroit Free Press was in the morning, and the Detroit News was in the afternoon. It was two different papers. The Free Press was the liberal paper. The News was the conservative paper, and I always preferred the. Uh, the free press. They had more interesting columnists, in my opinion, even as a child. And they had better comic strips. They ran Calvin and Hobbes, for example. And I would read Calvin and Hobbes every day. I'd read, actually, I'd go through, I don't even know if they still have comic strips in newspapers anymore. It's been so long since I've seen a major metropolitan daily that uh, I don't even know. But uh, they, at one point, they were going broke. They had a lot of problems, the Detroit News and Detroit Free Press, mostly the due to the exodus from Detroit proper and the Detroit metro area in general of people fleeing a horrible economy that was dependent upon one industry, period. So they eventually entered what was called the JOA, the Joint Operating Agreement. And they would run their papers five days a week. Now I think they do, I think they print every other day. But back then it was, they'd run their papers and then on Saturday and Sunday, they would publish one paper together, the Detroit News and Free Press. I think it was, I think that was the order of it. And that worked for a long time. They're still both in business, so it must've worked to some extent. Now I think they, they print every other day 
moreover, more than just that, the paper was pretty substantial when I was a kid. Not gigantic. The Sunday paper was always by far the biggest, but there was always something to it. Now you pick up a newspaper at a store, on a, not even on a news box. I don't even know if they, you don't see those very often, except in downtown, really urban areas. They're there for seemingly they only exist so Antifa can throw them through Starbucks windows. But um, the paper itself, there's next to nothing to it. They've cut down the physical size of the paper so it's smaller. It feels weird to hold something that small when you're used to a substantial-sized newspaper. And then it's three sections next to nothing of substance in those sections. So when they're eliminating print days... That's not the problem. You're not producing a product people want. Largely because I would suspect you are producing a propaganda pamphlet for the Democratic Party on a daily basis. And maybe that's not the best business model. Now you're looking at, on the right, apparently... OAN, One American News, is having all sorts of problems because the left-wing fascists over there are out there trying to get it and successfully getting it dropped from various services. AT this is from Yahoo News. AT&T-backed satellite provider DirecTV finally made it official last Tuesday, dropping far-right One American News from its lineup, leaving the conspiratorial channel in a full-blown existential crisis. The inevitability of OAN's calamity also caused an exodus from the Trumpy network in recent weeks, source materials have confirmed. Even though OAN owners Robert and Charles Herring hoped to force AT&T to keep them and at one point begged other providers for a rescue, several key staffers saw the writing on the wall and bailed. Christina Bob, the weekend host who moonlighted as former President Trump's insurrectionist attorney, ditched the network last month. This is written by the Daily Beast, if you can't tell by the tone. But they're gleeful. They are excited that an American media company, the same people who said, oh, Donald Trump's tweets are a threat to democracy. He's saying mean things about reporters. That's a threat to democracy. Those very same people are cheering the fascistic destruction of a cable news outlet because they disagree with it. Now, take a look at your news section in your cable guide. Now, we don't have, we used to have uh, Fios and they're all clustered together. Now we've got Xfinity and they seem to be all over the place. So I don't, I haven't, I haven't really familiarized myself with what channels are what yet with the new system. But on Fios, they were all clustered together. And they had Cheddar News. They had, uh, there's some new Black News Network, because Black News news has race now. They're putting all this garbage on cable news to segregate news out and uh, newsy and things like that. that are just, they're nothing more than, I don't know, they're jokes. They're kids with cell phones who declared themselves a network, and they're getting channels on these things. But One American News, nope. They've got to go. Now, is One American News must-see TV for me? No, not really. Uh, the production qualities are not particularly high. That's the problem with it. But the value in the company, and this is what they're really on the left trying to destroy, the value in the company lies in the fact that they have carriage on 
systems across the country. Carriage meaning that they are carried by these various outlets. If you are in, like CNN, for example, I have to say there's 300 million, I don't know, there's 100, we'll say 200 million households in the United States. 200 million households, uh, and all of them have cable, just for this hypothetical purposes. The carriage rate of CNN is damn near 100%. Every cable system out there. That means that CNN's value is based not on its audience. Its audience is tiny. It's, it's pathetic and, and shrinking all the time. It is based on the number of households it is in, largely. So they have that value. You sit there and you go, how the hell was Al Gore able to get $300 million for current TV? It wasn't because anybody was watching current TV. Nobody was watching current TV. It was because it was Al Gore and he went to the Comcast and the Xfinities and the AT&Ts and he said, carry my network. And they said, all right, we'll make room for you in there, Mr. Vice. We're all down with the cause and we wouldn't want to be unwoke. and We love you. And so Al Gore gets into 150 million households. Maybe half a million are watching current TV, but there's the potential there. So the value is based on, and he gets $300 million from Al Jazeera because they can just flip a switch and now Al Jazeera is in 150 million households. Still watched by a quarter of a million, but you get the idea. These leftists are trying to bankrupt one American news to rob it of its value and harm the employees and owners because they don't like what they have to say. They truly are evil, evil people. They're awful human beings. They're bad people. It's who they are to their core. So the Daily Beast can sit there and go, oh, this is great. I love it. One American news is doing that. Why? Well, because these left-wing outlets have billionaire patrons who don't care that they lose money. Steve Jobs' widow didn't earn a dime of that money. Is uh, owns the Atlantic. Do you think she cares? She thinks she's going to notice her billions are depleted by a couple million dollars a year by that left-wing propaganda outlet? No, they're safe. They're uncancelable. They're just coming after you. Keep that in mind as you patronize their crap. We're out of time for today. I appreciate the use of your ears. Thanks. Have a great day. We'll see you back here tomorrow. <laughs>